Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We have hit a point of transition now. Paul is taking us into the body and the meat of the letter after a long and joyful introduction, praying and giving thanks for the good faith of the Colossians. He begins this transition with a simple preamble, these two verses. As you receive Christ, walk, walk in him. As you were taught, as it was handed down, as the deposit of the faith was given to you, walk in that. Don't ever move away from it. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to change it. You don't need to dilute the formula. As you receive Jesus, walk in him. And, you know, I was trying to think of an illustration for for walking, and I was like, well, I have to look no further than myself, because at my age at this point, yes, at my age, almost 40, walking is right on the money for me. And on any given day, you may find me exercising my 2021 game plan, which I like to call Red Elf. Roll every day, eat less food. Roll every day doesn't mean you have to do jujitsu, and it just means do something. Walk, walk, you know, for me, it, it was kind of a routine of get out of bed when I walked to the car, car goes to the church, walk to office, sedentary life, walk to car, lunch for God's glory, walk back, counseling. You see a pattern here. But what I've realized is if I try to incorporate, you know, Hal Higdon's marathon training program into my life, uh, that, that lasts with my level of motivation and willpower for about 48 seconds. So roll every day just means do something, you know, even if it's jogging, which for me is aggravated waddling, or it's walking, or it's whatever, just do something. And it's amazing because as I dug into some research on this this week, which I know just enough to get myself in trouble, uh, it, it seems that a lot of doctors and health experts tend to agree that a brisk 20-minute walk can actually do some significant wonders for your system overall. You don't you don't need to engage in a, you know, baton death march training program to reap the general cardiovascular benefits rendered to you in a nice 20-minute walk. So Paul's pretty simple here. Walk in Christ. Walk in Christ as you received him. Do the work. Roll every day. <laughs> Eat less food. Be less of a consumer. Of Jesus, although feast upon him greatly, but then walk, walk in him, walk in the treasures, walk in the benefits, walk in everything that we've just read about in chapter one. And that's all you need to do. And thus concludes today's sermon. Let's pray. Yeah, right. Why is this so hard? Why is this so hard? I mean, really, that's that's the focus of our fallen condition that Paul's getting at here. He's, he's preparing to take us on this sort of two-chapter tour de force through the idols and pitfalls of the Colossian church in chapters 2 and 3. What are the things they're dealing with? We've been talking about these societal pressures and local deities and Jewish you know, angel hierarchies. Before he gets there, kind of wants to draw us into this question. If you have Jesus, and if Jesus is really that good, 
If he's as good as he says he is and has revealed himself to be and the Holy Spirit impresses upon your heart, then why do we need to add anything to that? Not just, but see, that's the easy question. That's Sunday school. Jesus. Not why do we need to add, but why do we keep on in the temptation of feeling like we should? Why is this so hard? Don't you often feel like that guy in Matthew chapter 18? God bless him. You know, it's his one mention in the Bible, and it's not a very pretty one. The unforgiving servant. Do you remember the story? He goes to the king. The king is balancing his books. It's the end of the year. And he owes the king a great debt. I believe the New Testament says that he owes the king 10,000 talents. To put it in perspective, a talent was essentially a year's wage for an average worker. So you get the hyperbole, right? You see the exaggeration. It's an infinite sum. It's, it's unpayable. It's national debt level stuff. 10,000 talents. The king in his mercy, in his grace, unbeknownst, unannounced, irrationally almost, allows this servant to go free. He pays off his debt. And what does the guy do? He uses his freedom to start walking around town, finding people who owe him money. And then, you know, it's like Austin Powers, 10 bajillion quadrillion Google dollars. He finds a guy who owes him 10 bucks and starts to beat the guy up in the middle of the street, proceeds to throw him in jail. Well, someone sees him doing this and he goes back to the king and he, he says, oh king, oh king, the person that you forgave this infinite debt is now walking around, beating people up over 10 bucks. Oh, so often that's us, isn't it? The temptations around us in the world, the guilt and brokenness and trauma in our own souls, the impulse of religiosity hidden deep within, always rearing its head, forgiven much in Jesus, and then turning around and judging and requiring, operating on a principle of the law and works with those we engage with. The reason for this is because the root of the problem is our, our hearts. It's not just what we do. It's not a behavioral issue. It's not anything you can educate yourself out of. That's why we are so tempted as Christians, as the church, as they were in Colossae, to take grace to take the fresh bread of grace like a beggar who's given a fresh loaf of bread for free to take the grace bread to eat it, to be nourished and then presume that we're walking about in our own strength. It's, it's the most age-old temptation. I mean, don't you just love Paul's letters? I mean, this is, what was Colossians written? 20, 30 years after the death of Christ? I mean, how, how long does it take to enter into a, a spiral of, you know, false teaching and issues? It, it takes about 30 seconds because it's within all of us. We're not alone in the fact that we too are tempted into all these Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that or Jesus plus the other movements. That somehow to just focus on Christ and who he is and what he's done and what that means for me and what it means for me now as I face Santa Fe and all of its craziness and weirdness and stuff that annoys me. 
as a servant to wash feet, it's not enough. It's interesting how this disease of the heart affected the Colossians. The church is basically made up of two groups, as was almost every church in the uh, sort of diaspora of the Jews in Asia Minor. You have uh, those Jewish brothers and sisters who have believed on the name of Jesus Christ as Messiah. And basically their problem is at this point, they've just been listening to way too much Madonna, okay? They are material girls. They have decided to take up the Kabbalah and the Jewish mystery religions, and they are finding pride not only in their knowledge of the Old Testament over these Gentiles who are trying to sneak into grace, they're the chosen people after all, but worse than that, there's all these mysteries. There's all these mysteries of contemporary Judaism, and you need to know the mysteries. You need to understand the angels and the ladder of being and the hierarchy and make sure you're in the right place. One person puts it this way. We human beings love it when we think we know a secret. And we love it even more when we think others don't know. You know, someone asked me this last week, how many shares of GameStop do you own? I'm like, exactly this many. And if I did, it'd be enough by the time this is all said and done to get myself a reino down at Maria's. Because by the time I find out about it, your aunt on Facebook knows about it, your grandma's heard about it, and they're talking about it at McDonald's over coffee at 6 a.m., which means the opportunity has already passed. And yet, how we just, we're just wired to wish that there was some secret. For the Jews, it was their mystery religion added to, for the Gentiles, it was, of course, the capricious reality of the local deities, which gave them, on the one hand, a sense of control, but on the other hand, great fear. And isn't this the case with us? If you check your sports app or your stocks app or your whatever app all the time for a sense of release as the dopamine hits you, then you know exactly what it's like for a little Colossian farmer to leave out his bread and incense to the gods so that the rain falls in the right place. The irony, of course, is that they can have no confidence in this help, in these capricious and arbitrary local deities, supermen and women writ large. And so, two Results are prone to happen. You either cower in fear, always wondering if the help you want will arrive, or you say to heck with those guys and become overconfident in your own self-centered abilities. So whether it's the Jewish side or the Gentile side, I don't know about you, but I see myself here. I see myself walking in so many other things. Back to the question, why is this so hard? I mean, couldn't we have just ended the sermon there? As you receive Christ, a free gift of God's grace, walk in Him. As my grandfather would say, for crying out loud. We should just cry it out loud. Walk in Jesus. How hard can it be? And yet as we dig in to the tangled web of desires in our first father Adam to be our own God that is our hearts, we see that we are on all sides of this coin. 
So what else do you walk in? As we kick off this text, I think it's good to ask that question. I think for some of us, this pandemic, this time, the ups and downs, the silver linings and the deep challenges have exposed some of these paths that we are so fond of traveling down. Where do you go to cope, to deal, to rest, to feel confident, to have control, to think that you know what no one else knows? Perhaps it's fear or anger or finances or education, all forms of pride. And yet the opposite is no better. For some of us, it's been an increase in passivity, not the overconfidence of pride, but I don't think I'm going to walk anywhere. I'll just sit. And ironically, I feel like I'm tempted toward both. So that's the problem that Paul is getting at in these two little verses. Yes, it's all there in these two little verses. Before he jumps into the nuances of the pressures they face, he looks out at the Colossians as if he's standing atop sun and moon mountain. He looks down over the city, over this people, this church, You've done so well. You've believed in Jesus. Christ is at the center and you're giving thanks. You're free. Don't now be burdened by the law. Don't now now add to Jesus. You're free. And that's why we get this transition. That's what the therefore is for. That we can sort of get this big view before we dive in, in the weeks to come. Paul's made it clear that the Colossians are doing well. He's also made it clear that they need to be on guard. Because we can either become pride in the paths we take, prideful in the paths we take, or extremely passive and lazy. You know, because the sky is falling and what can any of us do around it? I'll just sit down and eat some chips. To that end, I think Paul, in this short text, gives us three ways that we have to walk in Santa Fe, in our lives, in this world that will springboard us into the texts to come. Three ways to walk. Let me tell you what they are in case you'd like to write them down. First of all, walk in humility. Walk in humility. Second of all, walk in confidence. And thirdly, get to stepping, as they say. Walk in humility, walk in confidence, get to stepping. As you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him. So the posture of this walking, our posture in this walking, begins not with the emphatic walk in him, not with the imperative, not with the command, but in what has already happened. That's why we walk in humility. Because grace is a gift. And it's a perfect gift. It lacks nothing. The finished work of Jesus Christ lacks nothing for you or for me. We don't need to undermine it by adding to the formula. You know, it's funny. Sometimes I'm with my family and my my brother-in-law's family has this green chili chicken chowder recipe that you would to die for. I mean, I almost want you to close your eyes right now. And I will tell you a secret, okay? This is the secret. This is, I mean, marriage supper of the lamb, Revelation 19, guaranteed we'll be eating this up there. In heaven, what would Jesus eat? I have the answer for you. It's incredible. I don't know what they put in it except for 98 pounds of heavy cream and cheese and salt and green chili. So there you go. And and it's funny because 
you know, I'm the kind of person that when my food gets put in front of me, men, do any of you do this? I'm adding salt right away. Drives my wife crazy. Could you just try it first? Do you need to like salt and pepper it before you even try it? Because I've been working on this and maybe you could care about that before you put salt on it. Nope, salt's going in right away. Not with the soup. Not with the soup. It's the only thing in my life that's like, it's done, it's perfect. It is fully sanctified. It's like Enoch, it's floating up to heaven as we speak. You know, make sure you got it in the heavy bowl. You don't need to add anything to the soup because it's, it's done and it's complete. So it is with grace. That's why we walk in humility. That's why we of all people, if we believe this gospel, friends, we should be the most humble people in Santa Fe. I don't mean that you're just a doormat in a pushover. I mean that you have the deep strength and intestinal fortitude of gospel humility so that we don't get taken down all the rabbit trails of all the other things there are to argue about with our neighbors. And we stay on Christ. I mean, the, the glory of what we received is, is almost innumerable. Go back to chapter 1, right? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He holds all things together by the power of his word. We've been transferred into his kingdom. We have redemption. Even the Gentiles are brought in. So in its quality, in its quantity, in every aspect, it's more than we could have ever asked for. And it's not just abstract or corporate, but it's personal and particular. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And in Christ is everything you'll ever need. All the treasures and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge for you forever. So that even boredom is avoided. Well, there's no pride here. There's no pride if that is the gift that we have received. And there's also no deprivation. There's no lack. There's no need for anything extra. Again, the question that Paul is getting at here and chipping away as if he's lifting up a log to see what's under it in the middle of the forest is, why? Why should you now give a hearing to any other rival teaching? If Jesus is that good, if he knows you by name, if he saved you by his grace, if his posture toward you is mercy, if God in his justice and power, his final word to you is yes and amen in Christ, if, as we heard last week, there isn't a drop of God's wrath left for you, for it was all poured out on Christ, and you are now covered in a robe of his righteousness and loved, is there any place for pride there? Is there any place for puffing out our chest or having a stiff neck? No. And yet it's the very nature of Religious temptations. You got in by grace. Good job. Prayed the prayer. Nice. Good. I felt good, didn't it? Week, two weeks, month. Yeah, remember that little blip on your timeline? Oh, man, that was great. Felt so loved and so freed. All you wanted to do was be with Jesus and read his word. Well, good. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's elementary school. It's time to graduate now. You need more. You need more. Scarcity, it's never enough. I see this so often in those false teachers who claim to be faith, faith healers. Which, by the way, my question is, why don't you take your private jets and fly around and deal with the pandemic, but then you don't hear a peep out of these guys when that happens. You know, what's really insidious and demonic about that teaching 
is that, you know, well, we prayed and prayed and prayed for so-and-so. And eventually they, they weren't healed in the way that I wanted to. Well, if they're a Christian, they will be healed someday. It's called the resurrection body. But they weren't healed in the way that I want right now on earth. And that is sad and we get to grieve it. And what does a faith healer do? He turns around and goes, should have had more faith. Ooh. Bro, that's some devil stuff right there. That's the nature of religion. Last week we heard about Pilgrim's Progress. The story of young Christian traversing his way through the pitfalls of the world to get to the city of Jesus. And what do we find out about this traveler but that he has all these rocks in his backpack. I feel like so many Christians are given a backpack full of everything they need for the hike, the journey, the food of Jesus, the power of Jesus. And they take it, they dump it out, they get fat on the food, and then they fill it up with rocks. And then we wonder why the journey is so difficult. Paul wants us to walk in humility. As you received Christ, as he was taught to you, there's no Jesus plus. You never graduate. We must acknowledge that everything we have from God through Jesus is a gift. And that there is no other means to procure the favor and love of the Father. We are like beggars. The only difference between us and any other beggar in the world is we know where the fresh bread is and it's being given away for free. If we call ourselves those who are reformed, perhaps you've heard that term. It dates back to the tradition of the Reformation. The reforming of theology... A lot of things going on there, but the main idea was we're going to have our whole idea about who God is and who we are and what the church is reformed or reshaped by God's word alone. Let the Holy Spirit working through the word, you know, cut away the binding of your conscience to traditions and rules and things added, and it's just what God's word has said. Well, folks, if that's us, if we are the reformed, then let us not slip into being the deformed. If we are the reformed, if we really believe that it's not by any of our work or merit or effort that we have Christ, but by grace alone, if it's grace all the way down, not just grace for when you prayed the prayer, but grace for the you, prayers you prayed last night, for the stuff you've been struggling with for years, if it's grace all the way down, then we should be the most humble, the most kind, the most contrite, the most willing to walk an extra mile. So we walk in humility, but we also walk in confidence, bold, audacious, how dare you kind of confidence, because the posture in which we walk is not this self-deprecating, beat myself up, I'm so lowly, look at me. The way we walk in humility is through the power of Christ. Walking in humility raises the question of how, how do we do what we've been called to do? If the way and the posture is to be humble and a servant, and yet that's so hard to do, where's the power? And Paul, as he so often does, and it's frustrating to you and to me, he answers your how with a who. No, man, I'm just asking for the list here, Paul. Just give me the five things I need to do. But he knows your heart because he knows how he was saved. So he answers the how with a who. Paul says, look, all the energy, all the motivation... Everything we need to walk in confidence 
is found in these three little words. Christ, Jesus, the Lord. As you received Christ, Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. That's where the power is found. And I hope that there's at least a few of you this morning who are going, wow, really? Because I don't feel much power. In fact, when I look around my life, I pray a lot of prayers that I don't feel like get answered. I'm not even sure all the time if God hears me. And I was reminded this week of that young Norwegian girl, the climate change girl. You know what I'm talking about. Greta. She gave that famous speech where she called out like the whole world and the UN and everybody. And the rhetorical line said loudly over the microphone, how dare you? How dare you? And I'm not making fun of her. I felt a little bit of this in my own soul this week. And I was like, really, Paul? Really, that's it, huh? You know, the first problem is that we're prone to the temptations of religion. But once we get past that to grace, what now? What for the ongoing struggles and challenges in my life? How how dare Paul demand this to a people who are already weary and wounded? The how is answered in the who. Christ points us to the fact that Jesus is the anointed king of the Old Testament. He's the Messiah. He's the ruler and controller of the universe. He's the one who's come to set his people free. Jesus has come to be the second exodus. He has come to give his people freedom from oppression. Jesus just reminds us that he was actually fully human. He was a Jewish guy named Yeshua, which was a relatively common name in those days. Joshua, basically, but it also means Savior. And in his very name, we're told not only who he is, but what he would do for us. And Lord reminds us that Jesus has the power to do what he asks us to do. Whatever Jesus asks us to do, he will empower us to do by his Holy Spirit. Nothing more and nothing less. And Paul says, this is where you're solid. This is where the tree can weather the storms. I love the song that we sang with Sandy earlier, In Christ Alone. Whether drought or storm, the tree is planted and rooted deep in who Jesus is. Built up in Jesus' promises. Connected to the vine. So that whatever comes our way, whatever comes our way, we can know that I will never leave you or forsake you is true. And Paul tells us this isn't something that happens overnight. He says you will be established in the faith, which means over a long period of time, you will see God's faithfulness to you and you will continue to be reminded that he will never let you go. I wonder, have any of you, even if you have a fancy drip system, and some of y'all do, and a gardener, Have you tried to grow a fruit tree out here? Because I went and bought a few from Lowe's a couple years ago. And the guy gave me this big talk about this bag of soil and get this thing and add this deal and the drip system. We got it all set up. I have effectively killed all of them. And it hasn't even been a few years. It is really hard to grow a good fruit tree in difficult soil in the high desert in arid conditions, even with water and fertilizer. I think the blame is on me. But folks, what we're told here is that if if we will walk as those who have received Christ, he will in fact do the work of rooting you, building you up, and establishing you. 
Good fruit takes a long time to grow. But the promise of Jesus is that God is patient with us. And so that answers the question of how dare you. Really, Paul? You're going to put this burden on us now? Indeed, because the burden has already been lifted. The work has already been done. And in Jesus is all the power we need. So if we're to walk in humility and walk in confidence, then that means we actually can walk. We can move from the indicative, who you are and who you will continue to be in Christ, to now what we must do. Now it's not what we have to do, but by grace what we want to do. And Paul is clear, we've got to exercise our muscles. I read an article recently, a bunch of you have seen this, one of you probably wrote it, about how sitting is basically the new smoking. I love to sit. I find a good comfy seat, give me a little something to sip on and some, you know, put on some vinyl in the background. I'll do a good sit for God's glory. Always easier to sit. Always tempted to sit, but sitting is the new smoking. Sitting kills. How many of our, how many of our churches are filled with folks who want to eat and never exercise? Well, that sounds like a really condemning question until I look in the mirror every morning and go, man, that's my temptation too. So if we, we end with get to stepping, start walking with Jesus, go where he went, walk that path, I hope a part of you is going, dude, this is a bait and switch. I thought we just talked about walking humility. We're receivers. I thought we talked about walking confidence. What we've received is the fullness of Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the Lord. And now you're turning up the tables and, you know, doing this weird pastor guilt thing about churches that are filled with, you know, the spiritually obese. Did I just slip it in? You know? Am I keeping an eye on the, on the money in the back of the bulletin so I decided I'd slip it in this week? Get a little guilt going? Start ringing the bell? No. No, because of Christ, we can do these things. Again, we want to do these things. We are growing in the ability and the desire to do these things. And that's why Paul says, if this is the case for you, then you're one who is abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. I like this quote this week. Following Jesus as Lord does not manifest itself in checking off a list of rules. As much as we might desire that to be the case. And it is true, our Savior has given us rules to follow. But instead, obedience to Jesus is a humble embracing of His way as we reflect on and proclaim our gratitude for His salvation. The true Christian life is, first and foremost, a life of thanksgiving. So how can we walk in his footsteps, abounding in thanksgiving. What does that look like to be free and walking with Jesus, unburdened, unburdened by, you know, the mystery you needed to know or the rules of the deities you had to add or your own weakness about putting these things into action? What does it mean to live free? And I think here it's, it's possibly good for us to just reflect in our own souls. 
Who was Jesus walking with? What kind of people did he walk with? Because I don't know about you guys, but I, I tend to get annoyed way too quickly at people who aren't like me. And I was saying this to someone yesterday. When you treat someone like a project, they can smell that from a mile away. It is not the aroma of Christ. And that's not how Jesus treated us. Who was he with? Saints? Sinners? Skeptics? Where does he go? He goes to places that make the religious folks very uncomfortable. What does he do? Does he show up and, and I struggle with this bad. Woo, ask my wife. Does he just start talking and try to fix everything and a million answers? No. He's present. He's humble. He's bold. He's real. So I think one of the big questions for the Colossians and for us with the pressures we face is simply this. Are you willing to lose your religious reputation to walk with Jesus? Am I willing to lose my religious reputation to walk with Jesus? To walk amongst the lost and the hurting and the ostracized and the vulnerable as one who knows all those same things are true in my own life, but I've received a gift. And that's the only thing. That's the only thing that's different. I've received a gift. It's not that I know a mystery. You know, it's not that I made it rain on the crops. It's not that I'm perfect all the time. It's just that I've received a gift. And brothers and sisters, when we walk like that, when we roll every day like that, that is when the justice of God will continue to roll down and in and through our churches. That is when the works of Jesus Christ will be done through the hands and feet of his people. Is it hard? Of course it is. But Jesus himself is the one who walks with us, carries us, so that by his work and his grace, we can truly be humble and confident and abounding in thanksgiving. Imagine what that would look like. Imagine what it will look like as we go forth to do that very thing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you help us walk in you? It's such a tightrope to do this surgery on our souls by your words. The Holy Spirit, would you help? Would you help us to, to never add anything to Christ? And yet by the same Christ who has added us to himself so that we are now sons and daughters to be motivated by your spirit to walk in you. And yet to never judge those who are lacking motivation or struggling, but to lift them up and to help, to be servants of all, to never add anything to the formula, but to know that it is very, that very thing that feeds and nourishes us so that we might do the work you've given us to do. And Jesus, we're hungry. We're hungry to be free and to see you move. I am hungry to see that. I want to see Jesus. I want to see you do things in the city and in this church and in my life and with my friends and my family and everybody I know, that I look at it and go, that had to be you. That had to be you. I can't explain it in any other way except for supernatural, powerful grace. Jesus Christ the Lord. So would you do that? Would you do that? 
And in our ordinary ups and downs, would you feed us now at your table? Would you remind us of how great and wide and deep and powerful and unending is your love for us, even as we walk with you? In Jesus' name, amen.